0: We are in the middle of a series on generosity. We've talked about the motivation for generosity. The motive for us to be a generous people in every aspect of our lives is love. That is why we are a generous people. We are a generous people because we are motivated by love, particularly the love of Jesus Christ and the radical nature of his generous love Towards us, You see, you can be generous without love, but you cannot love without being generous. And we're not just talking about money, we're talking about being generous in every way. You can be a very generous person without having any money at all. So generosity is not just about how much money you give. It's about the life that you live. It's about who you are as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about generosity and faithful stewardship. We've come to understand that generosity is ultimately about kingship. Who is the king? Who owns everything already? And how then are we to live as servants or as citizens of his kingdom. So generosity in financial stewardship becomes quite easy and it becomes a joy and it's actually liberating when we understand who the king is and when we understand that he already owns everything and everything that we have is, is, a, is, an, is a, a, an abundant blessing from him. We also learned about Jesus being on the throne of a believer's life. And when Jesus is on the throne, we are generous in stewardship. Today we talk about generosity in servanthood. Generosity in servanthood. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the reading was rather long, but I want to break it down for you today. The Apostle Paul had every right to make a living for himself off of his full-time ministry as a preacher. Paul's vocation, his career, his calling was full-time ministry as a missionary to those who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul into unreached areas and in these unreached areas he proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. Now, 1 Corinthians 9, generosity is illustrated for us. It's put on display by Paul in this way. He had a right to make a living from his ministry. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He laid aside that right to make a living from preaching the gospel. When Paul was in Corinth ministering among the people, he worked with his own hands. He worked with his own hands. He worked with his own hands to make a living for himself so that he could preach the gospel free of charge. And ultimately, so that those who heard it would understand that the gospel is free. There's nothing that we can do to earn the forgiveness of sins and the grace of God. Now, as as Christians, we know that it's our responsibility to support our missionaries, and we send missionaries. And it fills us with joy to be able to support them in their work of going to various places around the world uh, to preach the gospel. So it's our joy to support Uh, missionaries as they work in the harvest field. Furthermore, we understand our responsibility to provide a salary for our pastors, and for that I'm very grateful that I can focus on the ministry rather than needing to go out and to work in order to make a living for myself. But believe it or not, many pastors serve congregations and they work full-time to provide for themselves because the congregation is unable to pay the pastor. So I'm very grateful for your ministry and of your blessings given to me so that I can serve as a shepherd and a pastor and as an evangelist among you and in this community. So thank you for that privilege. Paul understood his right He understood his right to make a living from his career as a missionary and evangelist. But for the sake of those he was reaching, he laid aside that right. And he didn't collect a salary. He was actually in the city of Corinth for one and a half years. And as he was in the city of Corinth for that one and a half years, being a church planter and a planting evangelist pastor... He never collected a salary from the people. See, Paul didn't want people to assume that his motivation of preaching was to get money. And he wanted the people to know that this is a free gift, a free gift of grace. So in verses 7 through 12, he explains this right. In verses 7 through 12, he says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Have you ever heard of a soldier serving at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does does not eat its grapes? Ever heard of a farmer who planted or raised a crop and never shared in the abundance of what was grown? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? And this is the important thing. This comes from God's word, for it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. In other words, when when the ox is treading the grain, as the ox is tied to a yoke and walks in the circle, treading on the grain to remove the chaff from the grain, do you muzzle that ox or do you not let it eat of what it is treading out? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown a spiritual seed among you, is it too much? Is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Is it too much if we reap a material harvest? From you. In other words, is it too much if we receive a salary for our work in career ministry? If others have this right, of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. We did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 18... What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So how did Paul make a living? Paul needed to eat, right? He wasn't superhuman. He needed food. How did he support himself financially? Paul had a trade. You know what Paul's trade was? He was a craftsman. He worked with his hands. And the craft that he had learned since he was a boy, he he used to support himself so that he could be a servant, offering his his service and preaching free of charge. So at least in Corinth, we know that he worked as a tent maker. He made tents. Did you know that? St. Paul was a tent maker. Acts 18, 1 through 4 says this, after this, Paul left Athens, and he went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had uh, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, He stayed and worked with them. So as Paul spent time in Corinth, he worked there as a tent maker. But then every Sabbath, every Saturday, he reasoned in the synagogues trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So he worked with his hands. And when he wasn't working, he was out proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we could call stewardship as servanthood. Stewardship as servanthood. Giving up our rights for something bigger. Giving up our rights to serve the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul understood that his entire life was dependent upon the provision of Jesus Christ. He understood that that every day he was dependent upon Jesus Christ. Are you living that way? Understanding that every day you are dependent upon the provision that's provided by Christ. So understanding that he was dependent upon the provision of Christ, he did what was necessary to serve the cause of the gospel to serve the cause of the gospel as a faithful servant. Rather than placing a stumbling block in someone's journey, someone's spiritual journey to faith in Jesus, Paul worked to make himself a living. Moreover, Paul was willing to do what was uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. When was the last time your faith made you uncomfortable? When was the last time your service to Jesus made you uncomfortable? You see, if you're going to be a servant of Jesus Christ, it means entering into that zone where you're uncomfortable. You see, Paul was willing to sacrifice his own interests for the interests of bringing the message of the gospel to an unbelieving world. Not only did Paul demonstrate generosity and selfless servanthood, he did everything that he could to relate to other people so that he would have opportunity to share the gospel with them. He even interacted with people uh, who he wasn't comfortable with because with his upbringing as a Jewish person, their lifestyle would have been very bizarre to him. Have you ever encounter people like that? Their lifestyle's a lot different than how you grew up. Their lifestyle's a bit bizarre concerning what your values are in comparison to your values. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, said, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. He made himself a slave. Dulos in the Greek, a servant or a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. That wasn't difficult for Paul because Paul was raised as a Jew and he was a Pharisee. He actually said that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was in the ruling class of the Jewish people. So to the Jews, he became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, he became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak i become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul, he laid aside his rights. He did what was uncomfortable to relate to people of various cultures and various lifestyles so that he could bring to them the good news of the gospel. You see, Paul did everything he could to serve people. This was very difficult for Paul as a Jew. But he left his comfort zone, and he did it. Have you ever left your comfort zone? Have you ever been in an uncomfortable situation before in your life? Have you ever entered among a crowd of people that you really seem to have nothing in common with? Have you been there before? Do you know how it feels? This is what Paul did. What was Paul's passion in life? What was his passion? What did Paul single- single-heartedly strive towards? Paul strove towards the message of the gospel, and he understood that in order to be a partner in the gospel, he had to be passionate about servanthood. To be a servant. To be a servant to all people. Was Paul perfect? Absolutely not. Paul was the first to say, I am the chief of sinners. Paul was the first to to explain and to, and to uh, share with us his struggle with sin. In Romans chapter 7, Paul said, that the good things that I want to do, I don't do. And the bad that I want to avoid, I keep on doing it. So Paul wasn't perfect. Paul wasn't sinless. But it, it was his desire as a man transformed by the gospel of, of the grace of God to be a servant to live as a servant of all people. So what is your passion in life? What are you single-heartedly striving towards in your life? What are your goals? If it's anything but living as a servant of Jesus Christ, might I suggest you're on the wrong path? Might I suggest you're on the wrong path? if it's anything but being a servant of Jesus Christ. When you get up in the morning, when you go to work, when you go about your day, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Maybe you've lost your motivation, I've been there before. Maybe you've lost your motivation, maybe you've lost Focus on what's truly important. Uh, Maybe serving Jesus has become a foreign concept to you. And it's the furthest thing from your mind as you go about your day. And because you've lost focus on serving Jesus, life is no longer an adventure. Do you want life to be an adventure? Focus on serving Jesus Christ. Many people are clueless as to how they are to serve Jesus in their daily lives. They assume that serving Jesus means quitting their job and joining the seminary and entering into full-time ministry and hanging out in a church with a bunch of Christians all day long. Is that what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ? To enter into the vocation of ministry? To become a career pastor or missionary or evangelist? The real adventure is out there, where you live, where you work, and with the people whom you interact with on a daily basis, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you spend your free time enjoying sports or hobbies. That's where the adventure is, serving Jesus out there. Now, if... if. Uh, the ministry was only about hanging out in a church with a bunch of Christians, that would be boring. Churches are boring, Christians are boring. No, I'm being facetious. But being out there, that's where the adventure is. That's where the adventure is. Some might ask, how can I serve Jesus when I don't have a call into career ministry? Is it an impossible for me to be a servant of Jesus as I work and live in a non-ministry vocation or career? Martin Luther probably did more than any Protestant to establish the theology of work that many Christians embrace today. Like no theologian before him, He insisted on the dignity and the value of all labor, whatever your work is. Luther did more than break the split between what we would call the the sacred and the secular. He empowered all believers. As a pastor, he empowered his congregation to know that their work served humanity, that their vocations served humanity, and that their vocations enjoyed God's full blessing. He insisted that the farmer shoveling manure and the maid milking her cow pleased God as much as the minister preaching and praying. So Luther saw the ordinary careers and vocations as being just as vital and holy and sacred as the preacher as he preaches the sermon. Furthermore, as we work in our God-given station in life, we become agents of his providential care. You actually become agents for God in your work. Luther said it this way, God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. Through our hands, God answers the prayers of his children. We pray for daily bread at night, and bakers rise in the morning to bake it. The same holds true for clothing. God gives the wool, but not without our labor. If it's on the sheep, it makes no garment. We've all seen a sheep with wool, but have you ever seen a sheep knit a garment? It takes somebody to shear the sheep, and to knit the garment, to clothe the naked. God providing providentially through ordinary vocations and labor. though. Through our work, through our work, the naked are clothed, the hungry are fed, the sick are healed. Through our work, we please our maker and we love our neighbor. When you get up and you go to work or when you go out and you volunteer or when you get up and you take care of the kids or the grandkids or the great grandkids. When you interact in society, do you view yourself as a servant doing God's work? doing his work to better society. And through your work, it is as if God is working to provide for people. Every vocation, tent making, milking cows, sweeping floors, serving as a lawyer to argue for justice, engineering, raising children, teaching students, collecting the trash, all are good services. All are good services for society. You don't have to be a preacher or a missionary to be in full time ministry or to serve as a full time servant of Jesus Christ. You serve wherever God has placed you and you work as hard as you can. Are you generous in your work? If you are generous in your work, why are you being generous in your work? Are you doing it as a servant of Jesus Christ, or are you doing it for yourself? Many have lost the fullest meaning of their career. They've lost the fullest meaning of their career because they are working only for themselves. They're working only for themselves. They labor for themselves only. They seek to become successful and wealthy only for what it does for them. They forget that as a Christian, they are called to live as faithful servants and faithful servants of the cause of the gospel, faithful servants of the cause of their neighbors. There was a missionary to India and he writes this in his famous text, Mission in Christ's Way. He talks about how people come to faith in Jesus Christ as he was uh, doing his ministry as a missionary in India. He writes The first Christian sermon was preached not because the apostles decided to have a mission, but because the presence of a new reality was so manifest that people came running to ask what it was. In fact, Most of the great Christian preaching and acts are responses to questions, not actions initiated by the church. There is a reality presence. People inquire about it. The church has to explain and the explanation has to take the form of telling the story of Jesus. It is not that the church has a mission and the Spirit helps us in fulfilling it. It is rather that the Spirit is the active missionary. And the church, where it is faithful, is the place where the Spirit is enabled to complete the Spirit's work. You ever think about that? The Holy Spirit's on a mission right now. He's on a mission out there. He's active, he's doing something. And it's our responsibility to align ourselves with what the Spirit is already doing as the Holy Spirit is active in this mission. It is, is it not, a striking fact that in all the letters to the churches, Paul never urges them to the duty of evangelism. He can rebuke, remind, exhort his readers about faithfulness to Christ in many matters, but he's never found exhorting them to be active in evangelism. For himself, he knows that he cannot keep silent about the gospel. Woe is me if I do not preach, he says. There is an Uh, There is an inner constraint. The love of Christ constrains him, but he does not lay this constraint upon the consciences of his readers. Mission, in other words, is gospel and not law. It is the overflowing of a great gift, not the carrying out of a great burden. It is the fulfillment of a promise. You shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he goes on to talk in this book about entering into villages where the Holy Spirit was already moving and working. And he would be invited to go into villages, and their people had recently been baptized. And they wanted him to go in, and they wanted him to to do the rite of confirmation. So he would ask the people, how did you come to faith? Oftentimes, it was a conversation on a factory floor between two laborers. Oftentimes, it was when a person was sick and a Christian neighbor went to visit. Oftentimes, it was through the program of the church. And other times, it was through dreams and visions. You see, the Holy Spirit is active. He is active. And he is calling us to be faithful, to be faithful servants so that we can follow where he's leading, wherever he's leading in this world. You have more of an opportunity to be a servant to unbelievers than I do. You have more opportunities to serve your neighbor than I do because you're already out there. You're already active every day in this work. Now we get to the heart of Christianity. What is at the heart of Christianity? Is the heart of Christianity, Christians trying their hardest to be generous in servanthood so that they can earn God's favor? Why are we generous in servanthood? Are we trying to earn a place in heaven? Are we trying to earn the forgiveness of our sins? Is that why we're generous? You can live the most miserly life in the history of humanity and then trust in Jesus Christ and the next moment be in heaven. This is the miracle of the grace of God. I can go to the deathbed of the, the most wretched sinner who is the most selfless, uh, selfish person, share the gospel with them, and they die the next moment and enter into heaven. Do you know that heaven is full of scrooges? Heaven is full of the miserly who held everything for themselves and yet have inherited the greatest wealth imaginable, eternal life in the kingdom of heaven forever. This is the miracle of the gospel. We don't do good works of generosity to earn the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. We are generous in servanthood because Christ came to serve us. Christ came as the servant of all. He entered into this world to serve you, his body was broken. His blood was shed so that you can have new life, so that your sins can be washed away. That is servanthood, brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus giving up his very life, laying aside his rights for you. When I look deep inside myself, I don't see a generous person. I don't see somebody uh, in here that, that really wants to be a servant. When I look inside, I see somebody who wants to hoard for myself, and I see a person who wants to do everything in life for myself. That's what I see inside of me. But I also see something else happening. I see transformation taking place. Slowly but surely, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, my heart is changing. I'm becoming a different person. And it's not because of anything within me. It's because of something marvelous outside of me. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. At the heart of Christianity is this. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross and to rise again to restore us into a right relationship with him. At the heart of Christianity is Jesus Christ accomplishing for us what we could never accomplish on our own. At the heart of Christianity is a savior who transforms people by bringing them them from death to life. That's at the heart of Christianity. Jesus came as the selfless suffering servant of all, because Jesus served us, we generously serve others. You also have come to understand the vital aspect of sacrifice for the sake of Jesus in your life. For you who believe in Jesus, your lives are being molded into his likeness. This is why you are compelled to give. This is why you are compelled to serve. This is why you are compelled to lay aside your rights for the sake of the gospel and for the good of your neighbor. You are giving like you've never given before. You are serving like you've never served before. Not because you are earning anything from God but because you have already been given all things by God. That's why you serve. That's why you give. Remember, generosity starts with God. God is abundant in generosity. And because he is abundant in generosity, you now are a reflection of that generosity towards the service of the gospel and for the good of your neighbor. Amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you that you have been generous to us. And we thank you and we praise you that this sin that dwells within us has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And not only has this sin been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, You are shaping and you are molding us. You are transforming us into your likeness to live as faithful servants of all people. Lord, we understand that this mission and this ministry cannot be accomplished apart from your spirit moving. Teach us, Heavenly Father, to recognize where your spirit's moving so that we can serve in our vocations so, Lord, I pray for every person who wakes up and goes somewhere, or even if they stay at home, that they would be sensitive in their place of work, wherever they go to school, wherever they are, that they would be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit is working in their vocations, in their careers, that they would be sensitive to follow and to be a servant bringing the good news of the gospel, bringing the love of Christ to people who need you. So in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let us stand as we sing together. Is it you have a song to sing right now, or are we going into <coughs> communion? Okay. My bad. Please sit down. <laughs> Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us prepare our hearts to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. I want you to hear these words today. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus invites you, he says, he says to you today, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You need rest for your soul today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the promise of the gospel. Jesus came to give you everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I invite you now to pause and to reflect upon the gift of Jesus and his grace given to us in his one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment to reflect upon our lives and to prepare our hearts to receive this sacrament. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sacrifice that you provided for us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you uh, lived as a servant, as a suffering servant. You were obedient to death, even death on a cross. And there, Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you shed your blood for us and that your body was broken for our salvation. Lord, we uh, admit that we are sinners. Lord, we admit that we are unworthy to receive such a precious gift as this. And Lord, it is our unworthiness, our recognition of our unworthiness that makes us prepared and ready to receive this. We are not worthy because we are good people. We are worthy because we are humble. We are humble before you to recognize with contrite hearts that we have sinned against you and we need this gift of your grace for the forgiveness of our sins and for the strengthening of our faith. And together, reading from the screen, we confess the faith into which we were baptized. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell, Together we sing the Sanctus.
1: Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power. In the...
0: Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the true body and the true blood of our Lord Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins and for the strengthening of your faith. Let us pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Invite the elders to come forward at this time.
1: will steal, the earth will shake, night will fall, and light will fade, the Lord will give and take away, because of Him. Uh...
0: of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ take an
1: Turn your cheek Turn your cheek Bear the yoke Of love and death The Lord will give Life and breath Because of His We are
0: true blood of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Take and drink. Know that your sins are forgiven. Our crucified and risen Savior has now given you his holy body and blood, through which he has made full satisfaction for all your sin. May he strengthen and preserve you in true faith unto everlasting life. Receive now the benediction of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance towards you and give you his peace in the name of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand together and sing, Take My Life and Let It Be.
1: Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let